thank you. Hi, hi, everybody. My name is Melissa C. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I want to add my welcome to Janet's. Welcome, everybody, if you're new, if you're old, um, and uh, I'm happy to be here tonight. So um, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I live in New York, and, um, and uh, you know, I think... Um, I know that there's a couple of new people here and I you know, just wanna kind of repeat something um, that I think is worth repeating that um, we really do believe that there is a God that cares enough about each and every one of us that we matter enough that he's willing and happy and able, well-equipped to perform miracles of healing in our life. Um, and that's, you know, and that, these miracles are not something that is a fluke. You know, it's not the luck of the draw. It's not like I was so lucky. And so I happened to fall upon this miracle. It's God really cares. And anybody here has the capacity. It, you know, this is not reserved for the elite few, but it's available for anybody who admits their powerlessness submits their will to God, surrenders to this God, you know, and then spends really the rest of their life trying to live in agreement with this God um, and have this. And, and so step three is really important because that's the surrender step. That's the step where it's, you know, there's a reason if you look in the book, you know, how it works, comes after we agnostics. And I think that's very, well, everything in the book is intentional, right? It's not an accident the way that this book, in fact, things that needed revision in the book, which didn't include the directions were revised, right? When there were stories and things were removed and things were taken out. But there's a reason why how it works comes after we agnostics. And the reason I believe that is, is that we agnostics answers those of us that are doubting, those of us that question whether we question God's existence or whether God's ability or desire to help us. And so we agnostics answers that, right? And so then once we really admit, yes, that there is a God, that God cares enough about us, then we can start following the directions, which is all about the rest of the directions is to enable us to find a relationship, to build and create that relationship with this power. So, so that's what this is about, right? That's what this entire thing is about. So if we're gonna open up the book to how it works on page 60, it says A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. And there's a question there, is this your truth? You know, yes or no, is that true for you? Meaning, have you done a good job managing your life? And I can answer for myself, no, <laughs> because I couldn't even manage how much food to take in. I couldn't even manage to eat in agreement with good nutritional knowledge, which I had. So my management of my life, ineffective, 
right? B, that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. So the question is, based on all the attempts that you've made to manage and control, hey, first, first, you know, the clear one is always your eating, right? I tried all these things to manage my eating and to manage my life and to manage the way that I lived. And all those attempts I made, do you believe that you're beyond human aid? You know, and for me, all the other attempts I made were all human measures. They were all came either, you know, for my weight issue, it was, you know, it was people, it was books, it was pay and way, it was, you know, lots of different strategies and none of them relieved my compulsion. They may have given me weight loss, but my compulsion did not go away, right? So the question there again is yes or no, have all the human attempts you've tried, have they worked? You know, and, and I know for me, I've spent thousands of dollars chasing every scheme. I could probably could have another house if I, you know, took all that money and had put it in the bank. Maybe I would, you know, have something else, but every nothing worked, right? And see that God could and would if he were sought. Okay. So are you willing to believe yes or no? You know, and are you willing to seek? Not just believe, but actually seek that God could and would if he were sought, if we looked for him. So willingness, you know, the willingness is, I say it's made up of a hundred parts desperation and a little bit of hope, just a sprinkle of hope. And, you know, for me, I knew that um, one of the ways that I could demonstrate my willingness is um, to not have contempt prior to investigating that nothing that other people who are living the successful recovered lives that I wanted to live, none of the things that they suggested should be beneath my consideration. And I think how many times sponsors and fellows made suggestions to me and in my arrogance, I thought, yeah, now that won't work for me. Yeah, that won't work for me. Yeah, that might be good for them, but I need, I'm gonna need to do it a different way. I'm gonna need to tweak it. I could never just say, all right, I'll do what you ask, right? Until, until I did reach a point where I did say, I don't, I, I honestly don't care what you tell me to eat anymore. If you want me to stop eating that, I will. If you want me to go to this meeting, I will. If you want me to get up really early, I will. I'd say, you know, at that point for me, um, if my sponsor would have said to me, I, I want you to get on your hands, you know, get on your head, stand on your head, you know, and walk across the room. I, I would have done everything in my power to get up on my hand. I would have tried it. Thankfully, I had good direction, which is another part of this. You know, it's not just, um, and that I think is the difference between sometimes people say, well, how do I know that it's God's will? How do I know that this isn't just me following humans blindly? Well, when it's compliance, it's different than surrender. Compliance is, I will follow a checklist that someone suggests for me 
because I'm just going to follow the checklist. I'm looking to please them. I'm looking to build a relationship with the person, with the sponsor. I want them to like me. I want them to think I'm doing a good job. It's very different from surrendering, surrendering to God is, you know, is, yeah, I'm willing to follow directions, but it's because I believe that this will lead me to a relationship with you, with you, God, right? So where does that leave us? Well, being convinced we were at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Just what do we mean by that? And just what do we do? And this part of the chapter in the big book is written, you know, I think to really demonstrate how I am making things in my life harder for myself and for others, because I'm trying to get things to be my way. I have an agenda, I have a way. And my intentions may be good. You know, in fact, they're they're often truly the best intentions. I have really good intentions most of the time. You know, I want my kids to be successful in life. I want them to be happy, right? I want my kids to be happy. I want them to have friends. I want them to get good grades, you know, meaningful relationships. I want my career to be successful. I, I want my um, students you know, to learn the material I teach them. I want them to be well-behaved. I want them to listen to me. I want my mom, I have a mom. I want my mom to stay healthy. I want my husband to do well in his job and be in good health, right? I want him to, to not, not, not smoke. I want him to drink less. I want him to eat healthy, to exercise, all these things that sound really good. And, um, most of the things I want are good and they're worthy, like they are. Um, but my problem is that I believe that my perspective is a fact rather than just a perspective, just a view. And my other problem is that I exert my will so that all those good things that I want are going to come to fruition. I believe that if these people in my life, basically anybody who's living and breathing in the whole world, right? If the whole world would just do what I believe they should do, then my dreams and my wishes will come true, right? And, and all the rest of the world will be happy too. Everything will be perfect. And, you know, and I also have this belief that if I, can make these things happen, I will be happy forever. And if these things don't happen, I can never be happy, right? I can never be happy if blank, fill in your blank. You know, what I was taught was the thing that you say, I can't be happy unless that's your God. That's what you've been worshiping, right? That's the thing that you've been worshiping. Um, you know, so I exert my will so that all these good things are going to come to fruition. And, um, and so then what do I do? I act in ways that create chaos and conflict because guess what? Here's, here's the clincher. I'm not the only person who has a perspective that believes it's a fact. 
every other person in my life has a perspective. And they also believe that their perspective is a fact. So I collide with them all the time. You know, um, most people who have different opinions really, really, really believe that theirs is right. And they're not setting out to mess with me. But I feel it. That's the way that I interpret it. They like me. They just want their way too. We all just want our own way, right? 116 of us right now. Everybody here wants their own way. You know, and I find it's really helpful to read the bottom of page 60, starting with the first requirement. And I put it into the first person. And if you read it all the way to the third step prayer, it has a different sound. So I asked Deanne, she's gonna help me with it so that you're not just hearing my voice. So Deanne is gonna unmute Deanne and she's gonna read some, and then I'm gonna jump in and kind of talk a little bit about it. So you wanna unmute Dee? I did. Thanks. Hi everybody. I'm Deanne, grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And I tried not to take it personally that Melissa asked me to read this and you'll see why. Okay. The first requirement for step three is that I be convinced that my life run on self-will can hardly be a success. On that basis, I am almost always in collision with something or somebody, even though my motives are good. I try to live by self-propulsion. I am like an actor who wants to run the whole show. I am forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in my own way. If my arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as I wished, this show would be great. Everybody, including myself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. In trying to make these arrangements, I may sometimes be quite virtuous. I may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest, and self-sacrificing. On the other hand, I may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. But as with most humans, I am more likely to have varied traits. What usually happens? The show doesn't come off very well. I begin to think life doesn't treat me right. I decide to exert myself more. I become on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Still, the play does not suit me. Admitting I may be somewhat at fault, I am sure that other people are more to blame. I become angry, indignant, and self-pitying. What is my basic trouble? Am I not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Am I not a victim of the delusion that I can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if I only manage well? Is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things I want? And do not my actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Am I not, even in my best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Thank you. So 
I think it's such a great visual if you like think about what this looks like because I can envision myself, I'm on this stage, right? There's this big stage. And instead of reading my own lines, I've got a set of lines to read. Um, I keep running behind the curtain. I'm running behind the curtain and I'm messing with the lights or I keep telling everybody on the stage where they're supposed to stand and what they're supposed to say and how to say their lines. And, and by the way, when I'm doing this, um, I'm not doing a very good job at saying my lines. I'm burning up all this energy trying to manage them that I forget when I'm supposed to come in, right? I'm, I'm bumping into people. Um, and, you know, and what happens is everybody starts getting really pissed off at me because they're like, why aren't you doing what you're supposed to be doing? You're supposed to do something. Why aren't you doing your part and stop telling me what to do when you're not even doing your part very well, right? And, you know, and so now here's the truth. Even if my ideas were really good, nobody wants to do them now because I've annoyed everybody because I'm an annoyance. And, you know, and for me, what I've done um, is, and it's sort of talked about it, that we might, you know, get gracious, right? We become more gracious. Um, I say um, manipulative. You know, what do I do when people aren't doing what I want? Um, I get nicer. I get sweeter. I try to I try to make it sound like it's a great idea for them. It's lovely. I try to sell them. You know, yeah, I try to manipulate them. Or I get quiet and pouty. And again, that's manipulative. It's like, I'll freeze you out with my silence. I'll just put on the sad face, right? So that you do what I want. And, and when that doesn't work, because neither of those strategies are very effective, uh, I get on my high horse and I get self-righteous. And when I'm self-righteous, then I'm talking about them and how lousy a job they're doing, right? And I'm speaking about it to other people, trying to get other people in my camp, um, hopefully so that they'll say something to those people too and put the pressure on them to do what I want. Um, and when that doesn't work, I can string some words together. I'm pretty good at speaking. So I would kind of put some words together to try to convince those people that it's a great idea to do what I want. And if that doesn't work, then I get mean, right? At that point, I just get mean, I get cruel. And by that point, I, I'm like, I've had it up to here because I have been working so hard at trying to get everybody to just do what I want. And I've reached like, my patience is done at this point. Um, go ahead, Deanne. Okay. Hang on. I am self-centered, egocentric as people like to call it nowadays. I am like the retired businessman who lulls in the Florida sunshine in the winter complaining of the sad state of the, the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him and the compulsive eater, food addict who has lost all and is locked up. Yeah, so 
So truthfully, right here I am, I'm in my safe house, right? I got plenty to eat. There's enough food in my fridge. I got a warm bed. I have indoor plumbing, right? I enjoy many freedoms. And yet I can complain. I'm like that, you know, retired businessman lolling in the Florida sunshine. You know, everything, I've got enough to eat and I'm complaining. I've got plenty and I'm complaining about what it is that I don't have. Um, you know, I can complain about politicians. I can complain about unfairness in the workplace. I can complain about a boss that I feel didn't like me or annoying colleagues who don't see things the way that I see things. And, and in those moments, I feel like my happiness is being hijacked by circumstances, right? By those things. And that if only the world would just behave, then life would be perfect for everyone. Those things were just better than everything would be perfect for everyone. And if, you know, if you notice this businessman who's lolling in the Florida to sunshine, he's not doing anything to make things better. Right? He's enjoying the sunshine. He's, he's lolling. Um, and he's just complaining. So when I sit around complaining, I'm not improving the world. Right? And I would say that, you know, I've shared this a bunch of times. Um, if I have something that I'm dissatisfied and I post about it on Facebook, I've done nothing. I've done, I've made no dent in that problem whatsoever. All I've done is complain right? Ineffective. Um, and that minister, right, who also sounds like his response to sin is just to sigh about it, right? Sigh, oh, oh, you know. Um, and in fact, it doesn't sound like he's sighing over the sins of his congregants or the people that he might be able to best help, right? But over the entire century, like, over things that are way outside, you know? Um, and I think about myself when I look at, you know, I've shared I'm a teacher, right? So if I complain about the sad state of the educational system in this country, and meanwhile, I have a stack of ungraded papers on my desk, um, yeah, that's ineffective, right? Um, and the politicians in this, they also sound like passive complainers, right? Like they're really not doing anything. Go ahead, Dave, whatever my. So whatever my protestations, am I not concerned with myself, my resentments and my self-pity? Selfishness, self-centeredness, that I think is the root of my troubles. Yeah. So the roots, you know, are the very things that keep me fixed in place right? Roots kind of hold me where I'm at. And they also, so they kind of support me where I am. And they're also in charge of taking in nourishment and delivering it, right? So if my roots are all on me, then I am firmly planted in this position of me, of keeping me safe, keeping everything to my liking. And all the information that I'm taking in might not be true. 
right, might be clouded by my own selfish agenda, by the way that I see things. I'm taking in all that from my environment and I'm delivering it to me. And I could tell you how, you know, like a concrete example is, you know, if you've walked outside, right, on any given day and your eye is fixed on the things that are not to your liking, rather than <laughs> fixed to like, I don't know, the stars in the sky, right? The sun and the sun and the clouds, the, the flowers growing around you. Like there's a million wonderful things that are going right. But if you're only fixed and focused on, you know, that the bird pooped on my car and I just washed it, right? I mean, that's then, and that's like setting the tone of my day. Um, you know, and that, when I live in that state, if my roots are all in me, and my little needs and my little wishes that I'm really cut off from living an other-centered existence. Go ahead, Dave. So my troubles, I think, are basically of my own making. They arise out of myself, and I am an extreme example of self-will run riot though I usually don't think so. Above everything, I, as a compulsive eater, food addict, must be rid of this selfishness. I must, or it will kill me. God makes that possible. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. I had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but I could not live up to them, even though I would have liked to. Yeah, so I'm not just powerless to the food. We're not just powerless to the food, but without God's help, I can have all sorts of morals and theories and opinions and beliefs. And yet the addict is at times unable to respect their own principles, right? It's um, addicts don't need more education on what's right and wrong. I completely know what's right and wrong. Um, I could have been taught morals. I could have had values. Um, and I might actually believe the very rules that I was taught. I might believe them way down in the depths of my heart. And yet I'm unable to live within the boundaries of my own knowledge. Right? It's not that addicts don't know right from wrong. It's that their ability at times to abide right and wrong are corrupt. Right? You know, we're, we're, we're not always able to follow our own code, which is why, you know, um, in the throes of this addiction, did I steal? Yes. Was I dishonest? Yeah. Did I know stealing was wrong? hundred percent. Did I believe it in the depth of my heart that stealing is a, not a good thing to do? Yes. Could I follow my own morals? Really? Not really. Neither could I reduce my self-centered as much by wishing or trying on my own power. I have to have God's help. Yeah, 
So, you know, even in the doctor's opinion, we're told this in XXVII, it says here, we are perhaps not well equipped to apply the powers of good that lie outside our synthetic knowledge. This is the how and the why of it. First of all, I have to quit playing God. It didn't work. Thank you. So what does it mean to be playing God? I think it's important for us to kind of look at that because we say it, you know, we can no longer play God. And, you know, is playing God different than just going about like normal people? Um, is it that different than, you know, the way the rest of the world behaves? You know, playing God, if you look it up, it, it means like to have a huge effect on or great power over someone's life, their livelihood, their health, or their happiness. And, you know, if someone plays God, they behave as if they have the right to make the most important decisions, right? And so the very, you know, the first part of that definition, it actually does sound kind of normal, although somewhat power hungry behavior. And, um, you know, news alert, we're not normal anyway. So don't worry about it. If it sounds like what normal people get to do, well, you know, my step one understanding is I'm not normal. So normal people might be able to play God in certain areas. Um, you know, and many people go through their life either playing God or attempting to um, in their own world. And, and we call it self-reliance and self-will, you know? And normal people actually, um, it's celebrated and encouraged to be self-reliant. It's like, oh, it sounds so good. She's so self-reliant, you know? It sounds like a great, like a great attribute to have. Um, you know, there's this notion of doing it my way, did it my way. It's romanticized, you know? Um, and some of us get here wearing it like a badge of honor, right? Like I did it my way. And I said in the beginning, like that was one of the things that kind of kept me from surrendering because you were gonna come to me with a list of directions and I was gonna highlight and choose the ones that would apply for me because I'm gonna do it my way, right? Um, I'm gonna play God even in this song, in my program, in my recovery. You know, one of my favorite AA speakers, Sandy B, he talks about this idea about doing it my way and he points out that some of us walk around thinking it's an admirable quality, right? We're like, oh, it's really admirable to do it my way. Um, and then, you know, like he says, so like when you kill yourself, what's the prize? Like, is that going to be on your tombstone? You know, he did it his way. She did it her way. Um, you know, normal people, which we're not, live quite often by self-sufficiency and and by the way, even for them, we don't always see great results. It doesn't really go great for them either. Um, you know, it says next I will decide hereafter um, in this drama of life that God is going to be my director. He is the principal and I am his agent. He is the father and I am his child. And, you know, I love that. Um, because it tells me exactly my position. In order to surrender, there's a submission here. Yes. Because I don't have the skill set 
to be in charge. It's too awesome for me. So what do I do here? What's the directive? I fire myself. I'm fired. I'm not the boss anymore. You know, um, for those of you who, you know, I use this analogy. I think it's a good one. If you're a dog lover um, and you've ever had a dog, you know, I've learned a lot about step three um, from dogs. <laughs> and the most difficult dogs are the ones who think that they are the boss. They don't know their position in the family. They don't get it. And um, it's the one that thinks it's in charge. And this kind of dog, I've had a dog like this. It thinks it's the alpha. And the alpha is the one that's in charge of the pack. And it's the boss at the head. And in nature, the alpha's job is to do the thinking for the pack. It actually is the brains for the pack. And it's responsible for keeping the lower dogs safe. That's its job. So it makes all the decisions for the pack. And the problem is that when a domesticated dog is living with people, it can't be the alpha because it's not smarter than the people it's trying to protect. And what happens when you have a dog that thinks it's the boss, you know, it's too big a responsibility for the dog and, um, and the dog actually knows it a little bit. So it's frightened and frightened dogs are aggressive at times. They bite, they growl. They're not easy to get along with. You know, in fact, I had a dog that was like that. Um, he thought he was in charge of keeping me safe. He bit everybody. He never bit me because he was, I was the one he was keeping safe. He bit my husband when we were dating. You know, he would, my husband would come in, he would, he would relieve himself of my husband's shoes. I mean, like, that's what these dogs do. And when I went away, went away for a little bit on a trip, this dog almost chewed its own tail off because it was so insecure. That's what happens to an alpha. Like it, it, it almost lost its tail. And I think about, you know, myself, when I'm in charge, I ate myself up to 300 pounds. That's close to eating off your own tail, right? I mean, I was killing myself. Um, you know, uh, when I want to keep everyone safe and well-behaved, I might snap, <laughs> I micromanage, I might bite, you know, um, I yelp, I get into fights, I argue and, you know, yeah, and I ate myself up to over 300 pounds. And step three means that I'm okay with recognizing I'm not the head of the pack and I don't want to be the head of the pack anymore. Um, I'm just one of the pack. I don't want to be in charge. I want to do what the alpha, which in our case is God, tells me to do. I want to follow that direction. And as a result, I can let God be God and I can be Melissa and I can stop snapping and I can stop micromanaging and fighting and arguing. And by the way, stop eating myself up to over 300 pounds too, right? When I surrendered and submitted, I became, I was easily abstinent from that point. And I no longer live, you know, having to kill myself. Um, it says next, most good ideas are simple. And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we'll pass to freedom. When we sincerely take such a position, this position of submission, all sorts of remarkable things followed. 
we have a new employer. I love that. We get a new boss. Being all powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. And so I love this. I have a new employer who is all powerful. You know, and back in we agnostics, we were given lots of spiritual terms that we could begin to utilize to help us conceive of God. And for myself, it was infinite power and love. So if I believe that I have a boss, my employer is infinitely powerful and infinitely loving, it's easier for me to submit myself to that, right? Because I wanna keep close to him and perform his work well. Established on such a footing, we became less interested in ourselves, our little plans and designs. I'm less interested in what I want because I trust this employer. He's infinitely powerful and infinitely loving and way more equipped than I am. More and more, we became interested in seeing what we can contribute to life. So here I decide, you know what? I wanna participate, I wanna contribute. I wanna do what you think I should do, God. As we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully, as we became conscious of his presence, we began to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, and the hereafter. We were reborn. So if you think about that, when I stay close to God and I perform his work well, I get more interested in seeing how I can contribute to the rest of the world and what happens new power flows in. People want to know, when do you start feeling some of God's power? Well, you can feel it in step three. We're promised that if you stay close to God and you do what you believe God would have you do, you start to feel some of that power flow in. And when that power flows in, I'm not scared. I'm not afraid of, of what's going on in my life today. I'm not afraid of what's going to happen tomorrow and way off, even in that afterworld, just not worried about it. And when you have that feeling, it is a rebirth. I feel like a new person. I'm not consumed with having to protect myself. I, I have trust and reliance. I don't have to be scared anymore. You know, I have someone who's handling all the big stuff for me. All I need to do is stay close to God and to do what I think he'd have me do. And here's the beautiful truth. God doesn't just make his will abundantly clear. He also gives me the strength, the wisdom, and the ability to live in agreement with his will. And I have many, many concrete examples. I've shared, you know, some of my own struggles with my kids, worrying about them. And I had this agenda how I wanted life to be for them. And when I really surrendered my will in my life and just did as I believed God would have me do today and not be consumed with the tomorrow, just parent them in the most loving, caring, and yes, at times, you know, disciplined, structured ways. I didn't have to worry so much about the future. 
and my own, you know, my own. Uh, I mean, like, here's a great concrete example I'll give. I, I'm an educator, right? So education is crucially important to me. It was always important to my kids to well in school. It was like, that was my God. If they don't do well in school, if they don't make it there, like I could never be okay. I could never be happy. I would be embarrassed in front of my neighbor, right? Blah, blah, blah. My beautiful, wonderful, incredible daughter left college. And, um, you know, it was her life. It's her life. I've learned so much by watching this girl. I, I can't believe that it was like, I let her try many different things. I did not pay for everything because I didn't believe that that was appropriate, but I wasn't punitive with, with withholding the money. It wasn't, you're not doing what I want. Therefore, I'm not giving you anything. But it was more of a, what do I think God wants for me to do for this child? How should I, right? And so really what happened for me, this incredibly infinite loving God, he had a master plan. It was not mine. You know, my daughter's path through different jobs, led her to find her, her, her partner, her wife, her spouse, her person now, wonderful, who's an incredible human. And it led her also to find my mother's caretaker, which I never would have found on my own in a million years. My mother has some dementia and she required us bringing her back up north. And she lives with my sister, which is a whole other God's miracle because that I could never anticipate happening. But I, you know, got out of the way and I let God be God. Um, and the woman who cares for my mother, my daughter met at one of her jobs. She never would have met this woman in, had she stayed in college. So I don't know God's master plan, but um but I know it's better than mine, you know? And I know that when I live in agreement of that way, I'm not worried about my daughter's future. I'm not, you know, is she gonna have obstacles along the path? Of course she is. Who has it, right? I have, why wouldn't she have that? You know, the other thing that I've come to the realization about is it's only in my self-centered thinking that I think struggles and challenges are bad and to be avoided. You know, somebody told me once, and I'll kind of close up with this, about that butterfly in the cocoon. You know, there's the butterfly in the cocoon must struggle in order for its wings to be strong enough to fly. My whole life, I've been somebody who stood outside the cocoon trying to pick it open because I'm going to help it along the way. Right? And if you do that, butterflies don't survive. So who am I to deny somebody their opportunity for struggles, right? Um, and I find that, you know, that was a big part of step three for me, that um, God's will for me has been to have my own personal struggles and then to use my struggles as an experience, strength, and hope that I can help other people. And by the way, that gives my life meaning, purpose, fellowship, and direction, right? So the struggle has been good for me.
And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you for such a beautiful, clear message of recovery. Could you stop the recording? It's not letting me. Um, do you have that option? Yeah, yes, I do.